jambalaya and justice, personality and pokeballs, lingua and love, the Help Yourself Podcast, where in every episode, Brian and Nick invite you to help yourself to bite-sized philosophy. Welcome to Help Yourself, Food and Philosophy with Brian and Nick. I'm Nick. And I'm Brian. When stuck in a hall of mirrors, that is a great time to pause and reflect. What you eating, Brian? <laughs> so true. So true, Nick. What am I eating? I actually have already eaten, and that is partially because I don't like to be a lip smacker while I'm on microphone, but... I will say today I tried something that I like in general, but I didn't know if I was going to like this iteration of it. So have you ever heard of shepherd's pie? Yeah. So I like shepherd's pie and I haven't had it for a long time, but I found this one that was a frozen shepherd's pie. I'm going to hold it up to the screen so you guys can see it. It's by a company called Blake's All Natural Foods. No artificial colors, no artificial flavors, no preservatives, and it was frozen, and it had just ground beef, mashed potatoes on top, of course, as shepherd's pie do, and corn, but the great thing was it was actually pretty healthy. The sodium was not that high for as in terms of a like a frozen food. Uh, it was gluten-free. Uh, it was 280 calories. So not a huge lunch, but it was enough for me to break the fast, has some carbs in there to maybe wake me up a little bit. And uh, it was very good. The other thing I am drinking, again, in my quest, as I've said in the past, my quest to get as much protein as I can in my diet. I drink these all the time actually at the gym after I work out. It's called Recovery Water. And it is by a company called Ascent. They do fitness things protein powders and pre-workout drinks and things like that with caffeine to get you going. And this uh, bottle is about 100 calories. Actually, it's not about. It is 100 calories and it has 20 grams of protein in it. So that sort of tops, even though I had sort of a carby kind (laughs) of shepherd's pie, I brought some protein in and I'm going to be sipping on that while we're recording today. And it's fruit punch flavored, which they have three flavors of this. They have fruit punch, watermelon, And now I'm going to forget the third flavor because I said they had three flavors, (laughs) but there's a third flavor. (laughs) And uh, the good thing about this company is they actually don't use any artificial sweeteners or anything like that. So uh, it's really good for in terms of protein powders and things like that. It's a little bit more pricey than the average stuff you might find on the shelves. But the reason why is because they are using like basically all natural ingredients. So, so that's where I'm at right now. My brain is engaged and I see you have your data hat on. So what about yeah. you? What are you eating? Well, first, I've got a follow-up question to what you're eating. If, if there's no artificial preservatives, I mean, isn't freezing like an artificial method of preserving? And No, it's artificial salt. <laughs> no preservatives. <laughs> yeah, probably. It probably is. Is that natural? I don't know. I mean, I guess unless you put it in the snow outside, that would be natural freezing, right? I don't know. <laughs> right. Uh, just being, I'm just being Nick picky. I I know, I know. I, I'm I'm familiar with that. I think our audience is familiar with that too, Nick. 
<laughs> so I got some variety in. Uh, this is this is a great way to make sure I get variety in my diet because I, I don't want to be here every day. We record and say, "Yeah, I'm having burgers and tots." So, <laughs> <laughs> which which is true. <laughs> I ordered uh, from our local pokey place and got the rainbow salmon poke bowl. So it's one of oh. the pre pre allocated mixes. And yes. Now, what is the poke place called? It's called Yummy Pokey. Yummy Pokey. Yeah, it's. It, it's it's true it's true advertising it's it's yummy. But they, I've had pokey twice this week, so I get it. Right, it's just so refreshing, you know, like the the rice and the the raw salmon and mm-hmm. fresh vegetables. It's hard to beat. It, it speaks to my my inner Neanderthal. <laughs> um, and then I also have the remainder of some nitro cold brew with sweet cream in my. Handy dandy little d- d- double vacuum sealed thermos. Nice. So you're caffeinated yeah. and you're satiated with with sweet cream. With with sweet cream. Okay. Which, which I'm pretty sure is just like vanilla ice cream that's melted, but <laughs> pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Be a lot cheaper just to put a dollop of vanilla ice cream. A little bit of sugar. Right. A little bit of sugar with your caffeine, right? Absolutely. Just, just a little bit. A splash of sweet cream. Right. Well, before we go any further, do you want to uh do you want to introduce our guest or shall I? We finally did we we uh we we roped someone else in finally to get onto our podcast, which is very exciting. We love having guests. And we love this guest in particular. Uh her name's Susan Ragsdale. And she has written 12, bu- 12 books. You heard that right. A dozen. She's going to be, next will be a baker's dozen. Books. What's that? I haven't read 12 books. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Well, if, if you cumulatively put like the one third of the self-help books that I read on on any given day, then yeah, it'll, it'll add up. But uh, but she she's focused on a, a couple of different areas. But today we're going to be talking about uh, reflection as you heard in Nick's pithy beginning that we heard. She's the founder of Right Creations Group. And uh, Susan, what are you eating today? I am so glad you asked. I want you to imagine this. Cream-based sauce, seasoned with onions and celery. And then it's full of two kinds of mushrooms, spinach, potato gnocchi, and Parmesan cheese. It smells delightful, it's hearty, it tastes good. And if I had the ingredients, I would make that in a heartbeat because I love that <laughs> recipe. <laughs> I'm not eating anything at the moment because I'm talking to you guys and I just can't do the whole talk and eat thing. But right. I am drinking a soy latte from Portland Brew East, my local coffee place. Oh, great. Nice. Well, that gnocchi sounds good. I, I grew yeah. up on that. I love it. I actually had some the other day for, I hadn't had any in a long time, but uh, I had a client meeting at Olive Garden and they had a chicken gnocchi soup and it was so good. Uh, it wasn't a lot of gnocchi in there, but it was a, uh, it was enough to give you a little bit of a, uh, a bump, if you will. <laughs> and their sauce is so light. I, I love yes. that. I've made that one too. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I think I find that 
half the people I talk to know about gnocchi and half the other people are like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of that. And uh, I, I will say that I, I saw a recipe the other day that I was really wanting to try, which is making your own gnocchi. And it's, you, I mean, you use potato and, you know, it's potato and gnocchi. It's based, you know, it's like, it, I always thought it was pasta, but it's actually potato based. And it was, uh, wait, you're, you're wait, Nick is making a face now. I think what did I say wrong this time? I I thought for sure you were saying Yoki, like with a Y O K I, like no, but but yeah, Noki, yeah, that's G N O C C I, right? Yeah, Niyoki. I don't know. It's funny because I've heard other people say Noki. That's how I pronounce it. That's how I heard. Yeah, and I always did like an Enye in there, like a Nyoki. Nyoki. Yours sounds cooler. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it sounds Japanese though. <laughs> like, yeah, well, yeah. Or actually, I would say, I would say Spanish with that enye in there. It's a little like it's almost like the n has the little enye over the top of it. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying it correctly or not, but gnocchi. it tastes good either way. No matter how you say it, it tastes awesome. Let me tell you that. Potato, <laughs> potato <dumplings>. balls. <laughs> potato dumplings. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so. That's that's awesome. I'm uh, I'm glad that you're able to come on, as we said. Uh, and uh, I guess the first thing that we want to sort of dive into, Susan, is just tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into writing these books and the subject matter that you're in. And, and also, maybe you might want to talk about you have a partner in crime that you write all of your books with, if I'm not correct, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so maybe tell us a little bit about you and what you do and uh, and your books. Boy. That's such a big question. <laughs> Just pick you? the parts you born, like. I was born at an early age. <laughs> <laughs> um, my career has been in the youth work field. I uh, I started as like a teenager working at camps and tutoring. And I had a love of English and writing. So I got a background in English lit, but my my first real job or career job was at the YMCA. So my 23 years there, left there, set up Right Creations Group. And I've just always wanted to be a voice for young people. And then I figured out my skill of love of games and writing uh, positioned me well to craft experiences. So when you're in a classroom or you're in a Sunday school classroom or after school space, how can you make it interesting and engaging because they sit and get all day in the classroom? So how can you add in movement? How can you add in activity? Uh, And that's kind of been my shtick. And Ann Saylor has written 11 of the things with me. This last book was on my own. Ann and I met back in 98, 1998. And we started working together through our jobs at that time. And at one point we sat down and we realized we had 60 trainings that we had both developed on our own. And so we decided to start working together to offer professional development workshops and then also creating resources and helping agencies with their curriculum. That might be that they say, hey, look, here's the volunteer manual that we have to get through and it's really dry. So can you make it fun? Or it might be, here's some of the fun, but we need to connect it to these goals or these guiding principles. How can you bring out those debriefing questions in a a cool way 
so that they're connecting it back to what we're trying to do in our program. So reflection's part of that. And we always call those our going deeper questions. You know, so we, we just kind of have a thing where we're good at creating experiences and talking about them. Yeah, that's a great, that's great too. Cause I, I don't know about Nick, but I've been to a number of <laughs> work trainings throughout my years of working. Thankfully I work for myself now. So if I go to a training, then I'd be sort of talking to myself, but that's okay. You're allowed to talk to yourself. You have uh, a podcast. That all, <laughs> you, talk, <laughs> you talk to yourself. <laughs> yeah, this is basically, yeah, anyway. Uh, but yeah, it, there were so many of those things that are dry and they just say, we just have to get through this material. And and it's that, I guess, going and sort of something that we found out about in the workshop that you did was the, and you'll have to refresh me on this, but it's the play with purpose. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, that's our mantra. Play, live, lead with purpose. It started out for Ann and I, play with purpose. And over time, we've kind of broadened it because we realize play is a part of every aspect of life. And when we're teaching educators, oh, by the way, when you do this activity, you're also helping build this 21st century skill or the social emotional learning aspect. That's the purpose part. And then, you know, since we educate those who work with young people, they have to live it out and they have to lead. So play, live, lead with purpose. Which is great. Question, Brian. What's that, Nick? One of my questions. Did I steal one of your questions? We should talk before these meetings. That, that might help <laughs> coordinate these things. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I'll let, how about this? I'll let you ask the next question then. You, oh, I'll put you on the spot okay. and I'll just say, now it's your turn, buddy. Sweet. All right. So in the the workshop that Brian and I were both on that you led, Susan, uh, you mentioned Carol Dweck and growth mindset. You know, the, mm-hmm. um, how did you run across that piece of work and how did it impact you? I don't think I'm going to be able to say I was here or I was there when I ran across it, but we always have our eye open for what we call at promise research. What's going to strengthen resiliency and tap the skills and the gifts that we already have instead of focusing on what's wrong with the situation because a whole different mindset. And her work is definitely at promise uh, in my, in my viewpoint, because with the growth mindset, as you know, it's, hey, you have this challenge, whether it's something you took on, like a, uh, a job promotion, or life just threw something your way and you're struggling because your parents are getting divorced or you lost a job or whatever it is, uh, there's this tendency to react negatively at times. Not everybody, but you get worried, you've, you're full of doubt. And so what she did was a gift and saying, look back when you've overcome challenges in the past and what helped you be successful. So you're reminding yourself through reflection of your own strengths, your own abilities, the strategies you used, what you experimented with, what you tried. And so you can think it could be something simple like learning how to play the piano and you go through all the things that you did to learn how to do that. And then you say, now in this challenge, is there anything I can apply? And I think she has the magic number of three. Look at three different situations where you've been successful and write down stuff. And then what can I take from that to apply to this situation? So what that did for me personally 
I think the time that I was reading her stuff, I was also learning how to do mosaics and stained glass work. Mm-hmm. And a friend was teaching me. And I am, um, I am very hard on myself when I make mistakes. And you're going to make mistakes when you're dealing with glass. There are just times that glass is not going to break the way that you cut, made the cut. It's going to break a, a whole different way. And so I realized that there was a lot about from glass that could teach you about life. And so one of the things, I even wrote this up, it's somewhere, I haven't published it yet, but I wrote about how my friend has a growth mindset. You know, if it breaks the wrong way, she'll go, huh, okay, let's look at that. That glass is this way, or maybe the design is supposed to go in a different way than I thought. And so it's experiment and learning, experiment and learning for her. I, however, grew up with what Carol said as a fixed mindset, which people told you, oh, you're smart you're smart. And so if you think that's all you're told that one time that you can't figure something out, you shut down and you don't want to try. And I because you're not smart anymore. Yeah, right. And I can one thing going for you. And it's not true anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So you're done. Your life is over. (laughs) (laughs) I remember in third grade, did you guys do uh, spelling bees where the teacher would have two people competing against each other and throw out a spelling word? Well, I remember one time I wasn't fast enough to open my mouth to say the word. And it's because I was picturing it in my head and the other kid beat me. And so I have to go to the back of the line, you know, my team. And the other kids were like, you did that deliberately, didn't you? And I just smiled and pretended like that's exactly what was going on because they all thought I was smart and I didn't want to disillusion Mm. them. (laughs) So growth mindset and being in the shop kind of, just connected at the right time. And, you know, the research was bearing out what I was experiencing and what I was learning as an adult about you can have a growth mindset and you can, um, you can build that at any time. Yeah. I, I had a, I guess a similar experience. I think it was in my blossoming career, you know, having some struggles and things. And um, I ran across that book as an audio book. So I was able to, listened through it multiple times. And yeah, it got me thinking back to my childhood and I had a fixed mindset, like nobody's business. I would, I wouldn't try out for sports, even ones I was interested in because I might not make the cut. Right. And I didn't, I didn't want to be a failure. So I didn't try (laughs) or there was a, I don't know, sports and hobbies would always be obscure ones because there was no competition. And it wasn't that I wasn't a competitive person. I just didn't want to lose. I was afraid of being a failure. And, but then thanks to that book, it reminded me of those times where I didn't have that performance anxiety, you know, or that fixed mindset. And I could then take that and act on it in other ways too, and just be more experimental in general. Uh, I didn't, I don't think I ever really applied it to sports. That that ship kind of sailed and I didn't have the physique for it anymore. But everything else, I feel like I've fostered a growth mindset. Um, I even have little phrases to remind myself, like um, your first is your worst. <laughs> so just just get yeah. it over with. Yeah. Nobody Nobody's ever good at their first attempt. If it turns out good, that was an accident. You know, like um, maybe there's talent there, but 
talent will only get you 2% of the way there. So, uh, yeah, just little things. The best of us have failed more than the rest of us. Oh, that's a good one. Who said that, Brian? I don't know. I don't, I I don't know. I can't remember. (laughs) Oh, really? I thought thought you were going to say you you did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Ironically, Nick Nick quoted me in in a speech uh, a little while ago, saying, "I'm going to quote Brian DeGuerre." <laughs> I said, "There's way more wise people that you can quote than me." Well, you're but, the, you're the expert on failure. Like, I've <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Know, we might have, yeah, we might have to revote on who's the expert at failure. You know, <laughs> right, right. I'll emb- I'll embrace that though. It's you know, it's funny though. Talking about what what Nick was talking about is I've had to. I've had to grow into a growth mindset, if you will. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, when I was, I think when you're a child, you don't really recognize until you have a chance to, you get into adulthood and you start be, getting exposed to other things that can help you make sense of your world. And I, I think I mentioned this in one of our previous episodes is that I came from a household that my parents were highly educated and, uh, but th- here's the, the biggest issue that I had as a child was that my parents never let me know, or at least I, my perception was I never felt like they struggled with anything. I never felt like they, I, as far, as far as I was concerned as a child, my parents got straight A's. They never had any problem getting straight A's all the time. They never struggled with their work. They, they just did things and it just got done and, and they, they excelled at whatever they did. And, uh, and so for me as a child, the thing that I took from that is, oh, there must be something wrong with me because I'm failing. So there's this sort of a shame associated with a failure or a struggling even, which is really just uh, a f- perception of failure, in my opinion, that you're just, you know, you're you're trying to do something and you're struggling. You're like, man, I must be abnormal because everybody else seems to get this and I don't. And so, uh, so it's just a real interesting thing as I've grown sort of grown up and learned and tried to get into this whole self-improvement thing and read and educate myself is that I've actually shifted a lot more to being able to tell myself it's okay. Like I said, you, you know, I, I know that the people that are really good at what I want to do, they did things really poorly. In fact, just as an example, to be really meta, we're on a podcast right now. Well, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Some of the podcasts I listen to every once in a while, I'll just go back to their first episode. Like they may be three, 400 episodes in and I'll go back to their first episode and guess what? Horrible. <laughs> They're really bad. They're awkward. They don't know. They don't know what we're doing. Sort of like what I'm doing right now. Really bad, awkward. And, uh, <laughs> but, but the idea is that everybody has to start somewhere. And, uh, and so anyway, that growth mindset, I think helps to be able to say like, there's nothing wrong with this struggle or doing something like that. So it's very yeah. freeing. Agreed. Yeah. I have a, yeah. a quick follow-up to that, um, just that topic for Susan. Do you feel that either mindset, the growth, or the fixed is more a product of nature or nurture? And to what extent? Does that make sense? And, and I don't put you on the spot. I apologize. Well, <laughs> you know, in, in, in my world, when we are using um, her work, we are talking about the importance of how you talk to colleagues or young students. And, you know, you don't go like, oh, that's pretty. You go, oh, I like how you used that color or 
you ask questions, say more about what you're doing here, and you're talking about the process and what's going on instead of, oh, you're so pretty, you're so smart. You know, we, we talk about the word, so that is nurturing. I do think, though, that uh, there are some of us who are just prone we all have our failings and things we have to overcome. I have to overcome perfectionism. I think things have to be perfect. Some of that was nurtured. Some of that is nature. And I go, oh, yep, there's the Ragsdale side coming out in my family. I can see it in all of us. So I, it's, I think it's a bit of both. But I do think we have the capacity to nurture within ourselves and with others a change. Um, and I, I think that's a good way to bounce back to reflection, right? Because that, that's where you can nurture that change. And that's right? what I was thinking. It's its part of the questions. If we're thinking about challenges, and I read this the other day and I made a note to talk about it with you guys. When you are in whatever challenge that hits your buttons, there are questions you can ask that are either going to empower or disempower. And so this is what I was reading. It was talking about the, the value of the questions. So many times we get in our fixed, this isn't mindset, it's just even our loops and how we've trained our brain and how the synapses work and our patterns and triggers, you know. So something happens and it's, why me? Why is this happening? And, you know, can I blame my childhood? Can I blame my dog? Can I blame my parents? You know, whatever it is, we get caught in that, why is it happening again? This always happens to me. Well, if those are the questions you ask, that's sort of the at-risk part. You're going to see more of that same thing. You're going to see other things that went wrong because your life is going to start playing those videos and movies in your head of everything that's gone wrong and why you are where you are again. But in the midst of struggle, if you can ask and I'm not sure what all the empowering questions are, but if it's what is my life trying to teach me or what's trying to evolve within me right now or what is bubbling up or what can I bring to the situation, at least those are questions that are pushing you upwards to look bigger and maybe beyond your experience. And I have to believe that those questions are going to get answered in some form or fashion as well. That's yeah, why I think there, reflection an, is important. Yeah, those those kinds of questions have an element of detachment to it, right? Like you, you sort of pull yourself out of the emotion of it a little and look at it as an observer, uh, almost mm -hmm. as an analyst, which you, you want to be informed by your emotion but not controlled by your emotion. I think right. being able to do what you're describing, like what is evolving in my life right now, it's still you still have that possession, you know, like my life but you're still looking at it more objectively. It's, it's like a spectrum because um, you're like, what is evolving? I like that. And I, I do like that idea of questions um, and, and asking good questions. There's a, I'm kind of a collector of good questions. So I I'm, appreciate two more arrows in my quiver there. There's, I won't, I won't go too far down this path, but there are, two questions that I have as go-tos that I've stolen from others. Uh, one is from Tim Ferriss. He has a, what, what would this look like if it were easy? 
as opposed to asking something like, why is this so hard? Right. Cause like you said, whatever you ask yourself, you're going to get an answer. So if you ask why it's hard, you're going to come up with a list of why you can't do this, why it's so difficult, what's in the way. Whereas if you just ask yourself, well, what would this look like if it were easy? You would get answers to that question and you're going to find a route around it. Like, or even imagine and realize that the obstacle isn't really there to begin with. Um, and then there's another the power that's, of that's hmm? say that again, the power of reframe. Reframing. Exactly. Yes. Reframing is putting a little twist on perspective. Yeah. Um, another one is it's wordy and I've, I've used this before in other episodes, but it's um, kind of another problem solving sort of question. What's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. And uh, that's Gary Keller, the same same guy who helped start Keller Williams, um, the real estate company. But yeah, just I, I like I said, I'm a collector of questions. I appreciate those two. That you know, what is what is my life trying to teach me? I think is what you said a second ago. And then, what is evolving in my life right now? I like like they're open ended. That's really good too. They're not they're not saying you know, is is it me? Like asking that question, is it me that's the problem? That's still narrow thinking. But if you just ask, what is going on here? You can just list out the factors and then see which things contribute to it. You know. So thank you. Yeah, it's interesting. I want to go back to a couple of things that both of you guys said, actually. And one of them is you were, Susan, you were talking about that you have all this, you have this mental baggage, if you will, when you're, when you're a perfectionist, where it's like bringing up all the things that you failed at before and all the times that you failed doing what you're trying to do before. And I I go back to, we've mentioned this on the podcast too before, but uh, Stephen Covey, uh, obviously that's somebody who has made a big impact on me, but he talked about if you ever, if you argue for your weaknesses, then they're yours. And so that, that sort of mental, uh, playing over and over and over the times where you were quote unquote inadequate or that you didn't, you know, hit the mark, at least the mark that you believe that you should have hit is you saying, see, I told you, I told you you're not good enough or you're not able enough to do these things, you know? Um, so that was interesting. The other thing that, um, Nick said is I've never heard it. Uh, I still learn things from Nick. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy. (laughs) Anyway, uh, you said you need to be informed by your emotions and not. Uh, I might have said controlled. Controlled by your emotions. Yeah, that's what I was trying to come up with the other word. But the reason why I wanted to go back to that is because that is one of the things like I've heard of in terms of meditation. If you are going to do some silent meditation to try to reflect. And that's I would assume, at least in my mind, that's a form of reflection. And one of the things they tell you is when you're meditating that you're supposed to allow the thoughts and the things to come in to your brain, but you're not reacting to those thoughts. You're just acknowledging that they're there and you're letting them sort of pass, pass through or pass by, but that's all you don't, you aren't letting them control you. And to me, that's uh, it was a little bit of a tie there to um, being able to uh, be informed by those emotions or feelings or thoughts, if you will. So um you know, goes to a goes to sort of one of the benefits of reflection, if you will. You're yeah. making me think. Uh, 
one of my Lent readings that I just did, uh, Richard Rohr book called Wondrous Encounters, was talking about, I think that's right. I think it was in, I read so much of his that it, it, it was him, but whether it was that book or not, it was talking about when you have the emotions and the triggers, you have to listen past that to the hurt. You yes. know, that's coming up from the big anger, frustration, bitterness, shame, guilt, all of that. Listen past that to the hurt beneath it and sit with it. And when you keep sitting, you move beyond that to the love beneath it all. You know, and you're sitting there going, reflection can be really painful at times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that segues a bit into one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Or, or recall and reflect upon, you know, getting to the hurt is what I'm latching on to. Mm-hmm. I remember in our exercise, you had a novel way of applying a concept that Brian and I have mentioned and chatted about before, the five whys, like asking why five times. And it sort of triggered that, I guess the five whys resounded in my mind just then, because I wondered if that was one way that one might get to the hurt. Um, but could you maybe speak a little bit about the five whys and ways that you've asked groups to apply that concept and maybe even what the five whys are? Sure. So in the book, uh, Great Group Reflections that Ann Saylor and I wrote, we started off with some pretty standard tools and the five whys is one of those tools. And so it was developed And it was a problem-solving technique, you know, so someone fell in the car dealership. Well, why did that happen? There was water on the floor. Well, why did that happen? It was coming from the water cooler and there's, we discovered there's some sort of leak. Well, why did that happen? Well, we ordered the wrong kind of water cooler or filler or whatever. And you go, ah, that's where we can solve this problem. And then they may also decide to put some sort of mat around the water cooler or something else to give traction. Uh, I actually, when I used it on the webinar, I had gotten this somewhere else and I do not remember who did this, but I saw them apply the five whys to motivation and to getting down. And I think the example I used on the phone was wanting to own your own business and uh, you want a more flexible schedule and to work from home so that you have time for kids. And my shout out in my head was to my co-author, Ann Saylor, because she has always said, I want to be a mom that works, not a working mom. Um, So if you went through the motivation, she would have some similar things. And if you ask me when I decided to go out on my own, My whys would have had to deal more with having space to have better control for my health and to have a healthier balance of life than working 60 hours a week and all of that. But I think, Nick, what you were saying, you probably could. It's probably a little bit tougher when you're in the emotion, let's say you're angry, to keep doing it, drilling it on down. But if you can be the observer and just let the thoughts and the emotions be something you're watching and going, well, why is that? Okay, touch point. You probably could drill it down to get to a root cause. It's a great technique. Right. So maybe asking something that introduces some detachment. So like if you're feeling angry, 
why does instead of like wh- why am I angry? It'd be like uh, why would anyone be angry, or why might someone feel anger in this situation? And then like uh, I don't know. Imagine somebody else going through the situation. Uh, I don't know. I'm spitballing here. Well, I'm thinking uh, through if I was like, I'm picking someone in my head. If I were angry with them, I think the temptation might be you keep going to past. And uh, you guys know the uh, Mark Simpson little clip where she's poking him in the shoulder and and he's going, Al, quit it, poke, Al, quit it, poke. She keeps poking him, (laughs) they keep going back and forth. I mean, that's our families and that's certain work situations where we know those buttons and then we hit them. So the temptation I think would be with the anger to, to move it off on someone else. Well, if only they would change or if they quit hitting my buttons. And so you'd have to remind yourself to own your own stuff yeah. and that you can't control other people, but you can think about like in that kind of situation, okay, my sister is going to hit me in the shoulder and, you know, annoy me even when we're in our forties and we're not 12 anymore. So I know she's going to do that. Well, how do I want to respond? Cause she's not going to change because she knows she wants to get me going. So how can I change? So what if I decide every time she hits me in the shoulder, that's my Batman signal signal for my superhero self to show up and I'm going to respond by going, isn't that cute? (laughs) And just, (laughs) you know, whatever, you know, just better response than me off the top of my head. And maybe over time she'll change her behavior because she's not hitting your button anymore. But even if she doesn't, you have decided you've changed it. I'm going to turn on my best self instead of that other triggered response because I have decided that is my I'm interrupting that flow and that pattern. I think uh yeah that you, you asked that question, at least the question that started with how can I? And that to me is the one of the most versatile and empowering questions you can ask, especially if you have curiosity, right? Like if, if you're feeling frustrated and overwhelmed and you ask how can I, it's more of a giving up kind of question. Like how can I possibly do this? But if, if you ask, well, how can I possibly do this? Like, like it, if, if you can, I guess it's not just your phrasing that can be important, but it can also be your feeling. And if you ask like, well, how can I discourage my sibling from poking me in the arm? Or how can I be less angry in this moment? You know, then you start looking for solutions rather than looking for the problem. Um, I also think too that that the the five whys sometimes gets to the bottom of that a little bit, and by that or by that I mean sometimes you don't understand necessarily why something gets under your skin. Why something? Why am I reacting that way? And so I think that that five whys is probably a pretty powerful exercise to be like, okay, why do I not like it when that person pokes me in the arm? Yeah, but why? And you, you keep you keep going down that path. I think that when you get to that sort of bottom line, is oh, because I it makes me feel like she's trying to be superior to me or something or whatever that might be. But it, a lot of times, just the understanding and knowledge or the ability to uh, to to basically figure out 
you know, the reasons why it helps you to, uh, you know, to be able to process that if you will. And, and that might help in the, again, but we've talked about this in the past, Nick, is that actions happen or actions will work a lot better a lot of times than being able to, um, you know, think about something if you will. So, you know, you can, you need to plan things out. It's like, we, we've talked about this where it's okay. You've got to, you have to have a time where you can reflect and plan things out, but ultimately at some point you have to have some type of action. So, and sometimes those, the, the time between the poking the arm and the act that, you know, and you at reacting is instant and other times it's not. Uh, and I, I mean, poking in the arm figuratively, not literally, <laughs> whatever that poking in the arm is. <laughs> so, um, but the other thing is, and not that this is going to turn into a Stephen Covey podcast, but, uh, he, he talked about, uh, having, uh, one of his quotes that I'll, I always go back to is, uh, anytime that you think the problem is outside of yourself, that very thought is the problem. And so that's exactly what you're trying to do is, Hey, let's go inward here and see where that lands us, if you will. And, uh, and it allows you to sort of get to the bottom of things. So. Well, the thing I've been thinking about as we've been talking about this is it's again, back to that empowering questions versus disempowering questions. And I, as an actor and an author of my own life and not a victim, because too many times when triggers get hit and other things bother us, we're letting that outward come inward when we can be our own hero. And Nick was saying, how can I do this? Or how can I do that? It's, I tend to think of sometimes as what am I going to bring? Well, if I'm going into, Oh, let's take holidays. Holidays can be crazy when you get together with family and chaotic and all of that. And so you can say, I'm bringing laughter. Or, you know, just like you're bringing a meal for, you know, or bringing a food item to go to the Thanksgiving dinner, I'm bringing the laughter or I'm bringing the acceptance. I can decide choice is really important. I can decide I'm going to bring this or that and I'm going to be that. Uh, And I, there's just a lot of power in that. And I think people are afraid to reflect sometimes because they don't want to sit with all the noise that starts and the anxiety because they're afraid they're not going to find that they have all the power they need within themselves. Yeah, that, that actually touches on some of the things we talk about is that I think we we've talked about, and eventually we might do an episode about the fear, fear mentality is just having a, having a mentality that's completely shaped by a fear, a sense of fear. And that fear could be something to something that's I don't want to walk into a room full of people or talk in front of people or that fear could be exactly what you said is we've, we've uh, talked about fear of success and fear of, obviously there's people that have a fear of failure, which I think are two, two sides to the same coin, if you will, uh, because success and failure are sort of yin and yang. But, you know, the idea is having that, um, you know, I guess having the, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I lost my train of thought. So sorry. <laughs> Runaway train. So maybe we can. Well, I was just thinking. About, <laughs> I was singing, so feel free to stop me. I, I have a. You were just singing, or you were just singing a random song, Nick. Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah, I'm not going to repeat it. Uh, I do have, I guess, a question. If, if we're off that train of thought, um, 
so Susan, you seem to do a lot of work with groups, right? Like create, creating experiences for groups and things, but clearly too, just in having one-on-one conversations, you know, personal interactions, um, even not professionally, just personally, what would you say, like, what are, how does different, oh my gosh, I did not phrase this right. How does working with groups differ from working with individuals, um, either leading or just speaking? It's funny. I was going to ask you guys if you thought reflection worked better in groups versus reflecting individually. Some different, different question. Mm. Um, how is it different? There are a lot of advantages in group scenarios. Uh, a lot of my work has been community work and youth development work. And so uh, there have been many years of involving young people in service projects. And the process is called service learning because there is an equal emphasis on doing the service and what you learn from the experience. So bringing those young people into the community to do something good, but they're interacting with agencies, they're interacting with people who are affected by whatever issue we're tackling the reflection within the group is stronger, I think, because as a, a facilitator or a teacher or whoever's in charge of that group, they're getting to hear the different takeaways and the different perspectives before doing uh, tackling an issue, and they get to hear about it afterwards and see where change is or see where things have been reinforced incorrectly Or if you have a diverse group, you're learning from different cultures, different faiths, and you're broadening and expanding your perspective. So leading group experiences can be very gratifying in the sense of leading it, but also you as a facilitator getting to take things home too. You're not just in charge because you're right there with them, learning alongside with them. And a simple illustration We were helping out World Relief one time. Some middle schoolers were helping out that agency. I forgot what the service project was, but I saw my middle schooler standing there next to this woman from India, and he wasn't talking. And so I went over and started asking her questions to try and get them to engage. And in that moment, when I was trying to model for him how to converse and, you know, to kind of prod something along, I sat there and just went, oh, wow. After I learned from her, she was a doctor in her country. She was forced out because of political things. She was trying to learn English. And her biggest obstacle to getting her English certificate so that she could then get back on path as a doctor was paying for the bus fare to get back and forth to the place where she was taking classes. And, you know, talking to someone at World Relief discovered that was only $100 that was needed that would cover like her entire time in the program. And, you know, that was an individual moment that I was trying to facilitate for someone else. And But I walked away going, oh, this was so important for me to hear and how easy an obstacle that was to remove from getting in her way. Individually, that's the other part that Anne and I love in our work at Right Creations Group is doing coaching. So one of you guys wants to lead your team through whatever, and you're talking to us and you're like, I need to bring more excitement. I need to, I just need some ideas to make this engaging. Do you have some activities? Here's my content. Here's what I want to do. That gratification 
for me in one-on-one is still fulfilling because I get to have that one-on-one moment of equipping someone and getting to see that they're going forth and they're going to do something differently than they would in a group. I don't, I don't know if that's getting it. There's, there's different, there's different benefits to both. And I like both sides. I'm actually wanting to do more of the one-on-one stuff where I can just show up and be myself because 12 books and activities and all of them, I've got a lot of stuff in this head that's good stuff that people could use. And I would love for it to ripple out to create more engaging experiences. You can say that again. Yeah. 12 books worth of stuff. That's all. That is a lot of stuff. It is a lot of stuff. I counted once. I know we're over a thousand activities. I lost count. That's incredible. Well, on on that, if somebody wished to learn more about your coaching services, this would be a great time to plug that contact information. Is that an email or is there a website? They can go to our website, which pops up a little contact. You know, one of the things is contact us and they can even ask, like, I'm interested in learning more about your books or I want help with training or I need professional development for my staff. So they can have all the little checky boxes to make it easy for them. And that's at write like you're writing, W-R-I-T-E, creations, plural, group.com. Because Ann and I write and create all the time. So we just call it like it is. So www.writecreationsgroup.com. Cool. Yeah. Maybe contacting you soon. (laughs) That would be great. Um, Let's see. What else you got, Brian? Well, I think... Uh, if the audience wants to get in contact with us to tell us what we could do better in this podcast, what we could do differently, or if I should host it by myself without Nick, or if Nick should host it by himself <laughs> without me, uh, whatever or you want to tell <laughs> What's that? I said, or Susan should take over. Or, or Susan should, yeah. <laughs> Susan, yeah, you know what? <laughs> Susan, Susan could take over. We're going to get thousands of emails now. Shame <laughs> in the food description for sure. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Food in a bowl and there's some rice. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, if you want to email us or reach out and, uh, and tell us anything or just tell us we're doing a good job or a bad job, the email is help yourself at brynick.com. That's the first three letters of our name, B R Y nic.com and but make sure that uh you before you email us you have had time to reflect upon this episode because that's valuable and susan will tell you i will tell you and nick will tell you so it's good to have ideas to bounce off of (laughs) like light Sometimes I don't reflect. I sort of refract, you know, um, <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's your curvature. You're trying to. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, anyway, we appreciate all you listening out there. And until next time, I'm Brian. Now, I'm Nick. And thank you, Susan Ragsdale, for coming on and talking to us today. Uh, thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. And that is it. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. 
to catch all the latest from Help Yourself, you can follow on Instagram at helpyourselfthepodcast. And to contact Brian and Nick, email helpyourself at brynick.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>